Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much. How are we doing this morning? You guys are the second service, okay? You, you, yeah, you lost an hour, but come on, it's still second service. How are we doing this morning? Okay, okay, that's a little better. All right, well, I am very glad that you're here this morning. I think uh, this morning may be the first time that I ever have had to wake my kids up for anything. Um, so that was, I don't know, kind of a nice experience not to be woken up by them, but to actually have to get them up. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. It is awesome to be here with you this morning. If you've been with us for uh, the last few weeks or months, you know that we're going through a series on the book of Ephesians. And we've made our way up to the beginning of chapter five, which is where we're going to start today. We've, uh, we've seen kind of in the first three chapters, Paul gave us a lot of uh, theory, a lot of theology, uh, these kind of uh, abstract ideas about our new identity in Christ. And then uh, he made a shift at the beginning of, of chapter four into the really practical where we get a lot of instruction about kind of how to apply that stuff to our lives. And so uh, that's where we're going to be this morning is looking at just some really practical things. There's a lot of commands, a lot of instructions in this chapter that Paul wants us to take uh, and apply to our lives as we think about what does it look like to grow in Christ. So uh, if you would join me, let's go ahead and uh, look at the first couple of verses here. We're going to be in um, chapter five of Ephesians verses one through 21. Let's look at the first two verses. Therefore, be ambassadors of God, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So right off the bat, as we, as we start our passage, Paul just kind of jumps into it, right? He gives us this, this kind of high level command, be imitators of God, right? Look at God, see what he's like and, and live your life uh, to reflect who God is. And then he clarifies that a little bit, something a little bit more helpful. Uh, he says, I want you to walk in love. That's what it looks like to imitate God. We walk in love and we try to love the way that Jesus has loved us in giving himself for us. Okay, now we think about that. This is kind of this high level command. Uh, and, and we might think, great, that sounds nice. How do I do that? This past weekend, I was uh, skiing, snuck up to Tahoe for like 36 hours, went skiing, had a blast. I was pretty, pretty excited for this little ski trip. Um, this is my second time skiing in 15 years, so I was really well practiced. And uh, I, was, I was very, um, I was just, I was in the mood because I'd been watching the Olympics some. And I was really drawn to the downhill skiing, just watching the, the speed that these men and women are, are taking down the mountain and the, and the grace that they show on the way. And I'm kind of just like picturing myself, you know, like this is what it's going to be like to get out there. Um, I think I was not quite as graceful as some of them were. I was certainly was not going as fast as they were, thankfully. But I wonder if, if you would have just said to me, hey, Dan, didn't you watch the Olympics? Like, weren't you looking at people who, who were really good at this? Couldn't you just do what they were doing? Well, I have to tell you that no amount of watching the Olympics was going to do me any good out there on the slopes, okay? I was not going to become a graceful, uh, proficient skier just by watching people who were good at it. I'm going to need something more. I'm going to need some more instruction. I'm going to need something else besides just watch them and do what they're doing. And the same thing is true with this command that Paul gives us. Be imitators of God. Love people like Jesus has loved you. Wouldn't it be 
be great if we could just kind of agree here this morning, okay, we're going to do that. Now, from, from now on, we are going to imitate God. We are going to love people with the love of Jesus. That would be wonderful. But it's not that simple, right? I should say it's, it's that simple, but it's not that easy. We can't just decide to do this. We need something more. We need a little bit more help here. And Paul understands that. And so uh, as he continues through this chapter, he's going to identify for us some obstacles, some things that tend to get in our way when we're trying to love people with the love of Jesus. So let's look at the next few verses here, verses three through seven. Paul continues, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that anyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So Paul, he's given us this this high level command, be imitators of God, love people like Jesus has loved you. And now he gives us this long list of things that we're not supposed to do. And these things are, this list is held together um, basically around the theme of sexual immorality, sexual sin. The other thing that comes up is the idea of covetousness or greed, uh, an unhealthy desire for something that somebody else has that, that you want. And so he, he brings up these two things and he presents them as obstacles to actually loving people like Jesus has loved us. Now, we could stop uh, and, and we could take a whole sermon and just talk about these verses. In fact, I actually wrote a sermon basically just on these verses. As I was preparing for this morning, uh, I, did, I did a whole bunch of work here and, and, and wrote out a whole bunch of stuff. And after I got it out on paper, God's like, you know what? That's not what you're supposed to preach today. <laughs> so if you, if you want to talk more about this, I would love to get together with you. I feel like the Lord wants us to focus somewhere else this morning. But let, let me say this, that as, as Paul gives this, uh, this warning about sexual sin and greed, it's really interesting to wonder, why does Paul do that here? Why, after giving us the command to love, does he start talking about sexual sin and greed? And I think it becomes clear when we think about the nature of these sins. Both of these sins are, are very much uh, selfish and, and self-indulgent, self-centered, self-focused. With greed, this is obvious. It's just about, you know, what, what do I not have that I want, right? What, what can I take from me? It's very self-centered and selfish. But the same could be said of sexual immorality. That sex is something that God has given to us as a gift to be enjoyed in the context of a loving marriage between a husband and a wife. And yet there's all sorts of ways, all sorts of ways that that goes wrong when we start to say, I want the gift, but I want it on my terms. I want it in my way. I want it at my time. And it becomes a very selfish, self-centered thing that twists this good gift that God has given us. So there's way, way more that we could say about that. We're not going to say it this morning, but like I said, if this is something that uh, you would like to talk more about, I would be happy to get together and talk with you. Paul, though, is presenting this as, a, as an obstacle. He's saying, if you are uh, indulging yourself in ways that are self-focused and self-centered and selfish, that is an exact opposition to the self-giving love of Jesus. 
And then he's going to give us in the next few verses, another obstacle, another thing that gets in our way of embodying the love of Jesus. So let's look at verses eight to 14. He continues, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the the image that dominates these verses is that of light and darkness. And he's talking here about our identity. He says, "You, you were darkness. This is like in chapter two, and he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. This is who you were before Christ. Now, he says, you are light. It's a new identity. And with this new identity, he says, I want you to, I want you to walk in light. I want you to, to live in a way that is consistent with this new identity. And one of the ways that he wants us to do that, the primary way that he highlights here is by exposing sin that sits in the darkness. You know, sin that's kept in the darkness, that's kept in the shadows, that's not brought forth, that's not talked about, it has an incredible power over us. It keeps us in bondage. It it keeps us in sin. As those who are light in the Lord, we want to look at our lives and the lives of our, our brothers and sisters around us, and we want to bring to light that sin that sits in the shadows. You know, it's so tragic to hear stories about uh, fellow believers, some of whom are in prominent leadership positions, who we might look up to and, and seek to emulate their life and their relationship with God. It's so sad to, to hear those stories when all of a sudden some kind of sin comes out of the shadow that's been hiding there for years. And it's like everything just falls apart. Ravi Zacharias is one of those stories uh, from the last few years. Ravi was a a Christian apologist, one who gave his life to defending the Christian faith and led an organization uh, that helped people think critically about about things of faith and reason reason through things and find God in that way. And he he died uh, just under two years ago. And a few months after he passed away, some things started to come out from the shadows. Some women started coming forward, talking about the way that they had been sexually and spiritually abused by him. And this, this great legacy that Ravi Zacharias was leaving just kind of crumbled apart as this sin came into the light. And I think about those people over the years who kind of knew what was going on and just chose to look the other way. And I wonder what was going through their minds. Right? What kept them from speaking up when they had some sense that something was going on? And I wonder if there was a part of them that felt like they were being loving, right? They thought about this, this amazing ministry that had been built around this man and, and, and about all of the lives who were changed and all of the people who came to know Jesus because of his ministry. And they thought, if, if I say something, maybe all of this comes falling down. Maybe all of it was for nothing. And, and, and I, I love Ravi too much to, to, to bring this to the light. It would be too hard and too painful for him. I don't want to do it. That's not love. That's not what Jesus would do. That's not what he invites us to do. As those who are light, we need to be looking first at our own lives and then also 
uh, at the community of faith where we find ourselves and be willing to, to bring out into the light that sin that hides in the shadows. And as we do, that creates a, an opportunity for the Lord to come in and to break those chains and to bring healing and restoration and forgiveness where there was sin that was kept in the shadows. So Paul brings this up again because it's, a, it's an obstacle. If we don't bring sin into the light, it's something that keeps us from really loving people the way that Jesus has loved us. Now though, Paul's gonna, gonna make a shift. He's gonna give us one more uh, command, one more instruction. And this now is not about an obstacle that keeps us from imitating God, but it's actually the key to the whole thing. How is it that we actually go about uh, becoming the kind of people who love like Jesus? He's gonna give us one more command uh, and we find it in verses 15 to 18. So let's look there. He goes on. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. 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 This is the key, right? We hear this this high command, imitate God, love people like Jesus. How do we do that? Paul wants to say, be filled with the spirit. That's where it has to start. I think as humans, our tendency is to, to hear this call to emulate the love of Christ and to respond in one of two ways. One, we might just throw in the towel. We say, how can I ever do that? That is an impossibly high standard. I'm never gonna get there. I'm not even gonna try. The other tendency is to just muscle up. Okay, I can do this. I will do this. And we try really hard to be like Jesus. We either throw in the towel or we muscle up. But Paul is calling us to something else and he calls it being filled with the spirit. He says, it's not up to you to become like Jesus. That's the work of the spirit. Your job is to to, to become filled with the spirit. That's the command that he's given us. Be filled with the spirit. Another way we could say that is in order to be filled with the love of God, you must first be filled with the life of God. If you want to be filled with the love of God, you must first be filled with the life of God. Sometimes we start with, I want to be full of the love of God. I want to go out and love people like Jesus loves them. And we start there and then we say, oh, maybe the spirit can kind of come alongside me and help with that. And Paul wants to reverse those things and say, no, no, no. If you want to be able to love, you're going to have to be first filled with the spirit, right? That's where it has to start. If I were to ask you, what is the one thing that you feel like is keeping you from growing in your faith? What's the one thing that's keeping you from uh, becoming closer to God? I wonder what comes to mind. Just take a moment and think about that. What is the one thing that is keeping you from growing in your faith? Now, I imagine that for some of us, the things that come to mind are are some kind of sin, right? Maybe it's my anger. I I have this anger problem. If I could just, if I could get my anger under control, then I I would really be able to grow closer to the Lord. Or maybe it's an addiction to pornography, right? I've talked with a lot of people who feel like this. It's like, you know, everything's kind of going well in my relationship with God, but there's, there's just this one thing. I'm addicted to pornography and I, I can't break the addiction. And if I, could just, if I could just break that, 
then I would be able to, to grow closer to the Lord. If that's the way we think about our relationship with God, then we are spending more energy trying to run from our sin than we are running to God. And God says, no, 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 no. That's the other way. I want you to do it the other way. I want you to run to me. I want you to be filled with the spirit. It's not that we're not concerned about our sin, but if we see all of this here, the first response should be, God, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. I want to be filled with the spirit. As we think about that though, we wonder what, what does that really mean to be filled with the spirit? How do we get there? Well, Paul's not saying that we don't have the spirit. If we have believed in Jesus, we know that, that there is a time uh, when we first believe in Jesus, we first come to faith, that we are filled with the Spirit. We, we receive the Spirit. And from that time forward, you always have the presence of the Spirit in your life. He never leaves. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, the very life of God living inside of you. So Paul can't mean that, okay, but then sometimes we don't have the Spirit and so then we have to be refilled with the Spirit. There's something else going on. It's not that the Spirit's presence is sometimes not with us. It's that sometimes we're not aware of his presence. We don't even notice that he's there. And so being filled with the Spirit has to do with becoming more aware of his presence in our lives, as we were singing about earlier. And also to learn to depend on him more. Right? So that instead of just trying to muscle up and do it on my own, I'm saying, no, God, I just want, I want to lean into you. I want to trust that you are going to do this work in me. This is being filled with the Spirit. But now I want to get really practical because Paul's going to get really practical. Okay, how do we actually do that? What, what do we do in order to be filled with the Spirit? I've got some water up here. A pitcher of water in a glass. You were perhaps thinking I was just particularly thirsty this morning. Um, I'm a little thirsty, but no, that's not why this is here. I want us to think for a moment about this glass. What does this glass have to do in order to be filled with water from this pitcher? Glass, be filled. How how does anything be filled? That's a passive idea. There's no action involved in being filled. That's something that somebody else does to you. I could take this water and I could pour it in the glass and then the glass would be filled, not because the glass did anything, but because I poured the water into it. What can this glass do to be filled? Nothing. But watch this. How easy would it be to fill this glass with the water right now? Pretty tough, right? What about this? Now, how easy would it be to fill that glass with water? Not going to do it. Don't worry. Okay. (laughs) It's not going to work, right? Or what if I had a can of Coke and I took it and I I filled up this glass of water or filled up this glass and then I tried to pour water in it? What would happen? Be a mess, right? there's, There's no space. So this glass cannot do anything to be filled with water, but this glass can do all kinds of things to not be filled with water, okay? The same is true of us, right? We can, we can take our lives and we can orient them away from the Lord. And we can, we can say, no, no thanks, I'm going in another direction. 
we can take our lives and we can close them off to the presence of the Lord. Say, nope, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna open up. We can take our lives and we can fill it with all kinds of other things so that, so that there's no more room for the spirit to come in. There are all kinds of things that we can do to not be filled with the spirit. So what then can we do? What is our role? What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to open. So just open up to the Lord. Say, God, I, I want your spirit. I want you to fill me. To, to, to orient our lives to the Lord, to, to do things, to, to adopt practices that help us to, to open ourselves up so that the spirit can come and can fill us. I'm kind of thirsty. So. so we have a role to play. Absolutely, we have a role to play. But our role is not to, to fill ourselves with the spirit. Our role is to open ourselves up so that the spirit can come and fill us, so that we can be more aware of his presence, to give the spirit more room to work in our lives, to bring about the character of Christ in us. There's a name for these practices that allow us to open up to the spirit. They're called spiritual disciplines. That's what spiritual disciplines are. Spiritual disciplines are not a way to change ourselves. Spiritual disciplines are a way to to open ourselves up, to, to, to just put us in a position where we can open to the spirit so that he might come into our lives, right? To, to, to do certain things that kind of crack us open for the spirit to come in. Now, when you hear spiritual disciplines, maybe you think of things like studying the Bible and prayer and fasting. And those absolutely are spiritual disciplines. Those are great things that we should be doing that help us open up to the Lord. Paul in this passage though, is gonna give us four specific spiritual disciplines. And it's not studying the Bible. It's not prayer. It's not fasting. Instead, these are all, th- all four of these things are things that have to do with the corporate gathering of God's people for worship and fellowship. Four different things that we can do that help us open up to the spirit so that we might be filled. These come in verses 19 to 21. And I just want to look at them one phrase at a time uh, to see what's there and think about how these things can help us. So the first one that we find is this. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I want you to be filled with the Spirit by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing worship songs to each other. That's what he's saying, okay? Now he doesn't mean worshiping each other, don't get me wrong. But he means that, that we sing songs. He calls them psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's kind of all different ways to say songs of worship. We sing these psalms addressing one another. That means that as we sing, as we praise God, we do so with an awareness that there are other people around us. And and as we worship, we do so uh, in community with them. And this is beneficial for the body of Christ. It helps us collectively open up to the spirit so that he might fill us. Imagine that you come here this morning and and you are filled with regret. Maybe that's some of you, even as you walked in this morning. Regret over something that went wrong this week. Maybe it was a fight that you had with your spouse or a mistake that you made at work or um, a friend who feels you've let them down or, or some kind of issue. And, you, and you're, you're just coming in feeling regret. And then we gather together and we start to sing. And we sing the song 10,000 Reasons that we sang earlier. And you hear this chorus. 
You're rich in love and slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. And as you sing those words, and as you hear the person next to you sing those words, there's something in your soul that just opens up a little bit. And in that place of regret, there's now an opening for the spirit to come in and to remind you that even in that place, God loves you. It's the spiritual discipline of singing songs to one another so that we might open up and allow the spirit to come in and fill us. He gives us another one. The second one he gives is singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So it's still about worship, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. But now this is to the Lord. We're not addressing one another. Uh, We're singing to the Lord. And notice that he says, uh, with your heart, not in your heart. Sometimes we hear this as in your heart and we think, oh, okay, I can, I'm just worshiping God in my heart. I'm just standing here, not singing. I'm just worshiping God in my heart. We certainly can worship God in our hearts, absolutely. But what Paul wants us to do as a discipline in order to open up to the spirit is to worship God with our hearts through singing and making melody to the Lord. That is using our voices and singing praise to God. And you know what? That even applies to those of us who didn't sing in the choir. Okay, uh, I just married Lindsay. That's how I solved that problem. I'm like, there, I'm, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm not gonna sing into a microphone though. I'm not gonna do that to you, right? That's not all of our gifts, but still I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna sing loud because there's something about music that helps crack the soul open. That, that as we sing, as we express ourselves to God through song, that there's something in us that just opens up a little bit and it creates some space for the spirit to come in and to fill us. And so we gather together, we sing with our voices and I would say even with our bodies, right? This is why I, I open up my hands in worship sometimes, just to reflect with my body what I hope and pray is happening on the inside of me, which is, God, I just want to open to you. I want to be open to the filling of your spirit. And so this is a whole body kind of worship of God. It's a discipline that helps us open to the spirit. The third thing that Paul gives us, he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the discipline of gratitude, of of being thankful. And it's it's a discipline because it's not that we just kind of go through life and whenever something strikes us, oh, now I'm gonna be thankful for it. This is intentionally looking at, Lord, what have you given me as gifts that I can be grateful for? How have you poured out your blessing in my life? Yesterday, we had about 30 uh, members of the the worship and production team over to our house for brunch, just to have some fun together and and share some food and fellowship. And uh, we had a great time. It was so good to just uh, be together with friends. And last night, I I was just kind of reflecting back on that, just on that experience that I had that morning. And my heart was filled with gratitude. I thought, God, thank you for these men and women who give so much of their time and energy to help lead us in worship. Thank you for this house that you've blessed my family with. About a year and a half ago, we moved into a new home with the help of X245, PBC's Pastoral Housing Foundation, that's trying to make it easier for our pastors to live in the Bay Area. And we got to move into this house. And I was just grateful that we had a space that we could have people over. I was grateful for a conversation I had with a friend that I hadn't connected with for a while. I was grateful for the chance to meet some new friends. And as I reflected on these things with the Lord and expressed my gratitude to to him, 
there was just a little bit of an opening, a space for the spirit to come in and fill me. This is the practice of gratitude, the spiritual discipline of gratitude. Gratitude helps us move from kind of our our default human response of what can I take, right? We kind of all default there naturally to what has God given me? And what an amazing shift that is. It opens us up for the spirit to come in. The fourth uh, thing that that Paul gives us, the fourth, fourth discipline to help us open to the spirit is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The act of submission is to to take yourself and and move yourself underneath somebody else, right? It's it's a humbling. It's It's a lowering of yourself beneath somebody, putting their preferences above yours, putting their well-being above yours, putting their reputation above yours. Dallas Willard is a writer in spiritual formation and he was a a philosophy professor at USC and he was teaching a class one day and uh, he had a student just kind of jump in and cut him off in a way that was really rude and arrogant and with some statements that were just not true. And Dallas stopped in that moment and he said, I think this is a good place for us to end the class today. And with that, he dismissed his students. And he had somebody come up to him afterwards and say, Dallas, why did you not correct him? Like, why did you not speak up and say something and and put him in his place? And he said, I was practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Did you know that can be a spiritual discipline? Not having the last word. Anything can be a spiritual discipline if it's helping to train you to open up to the Lord. He was intentionally putting himself below somebody else. I'm not going to have the last word. I'm not going to have to be... Have everyone know I'm right all the time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lower myself here as, as a discipline so that I might open myself up to the, to the infilling of the Spirit. So these are the, the, the practices that, uh, that Paul gives us. Things that we might not ordinarily think of as spiritual disciplines, but all they are is activities that we can do that help us open up so that the spirit might come in and fill us, so that we might become more aware of his presence in our lives, so that that we might become by his power more and more like Jesus. We're gonna sing one more song here. um, And I wanna invite you to stand. If you would stand with me, we're gonna gonna worship together. uh, And I want us to think of this as a spiritual discipline, okay? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our whole being, with all of our heart. Maybe there's something that comes to mind uh, that that brings a sense of gratitude to you. And maybe uh, after we're done, there, there may be an opportunity to even submit yourself to somebody else. These are just disciplines that help us open up. So Spirit, we pray that that you would that you would help us to to crack our souls open a little bit so that you might come in and fill us. Sometimes, Lord, we are so hard-hearted. Sometimes we we just orient ourselves away from you or we close ourselves off to you. Lord, would you give us courage to just open ourselves up? No matter what kind of junk is in there, Lord, we just want to open ourselves to you so that you might fill us and start working on whatever is there so that we could be aware of your presence, your longing to be in relationship with us. Lord, you have put a song in each and every one of our souls. You have created us as beings to worship. 
And so now, Lord, we just want to raise our voices to you. We want to lift our hands to you. We want to present ourselves to you and pray that you would come in and fill this place, fill our lives, fill this room. Give us more of you, more awareness of you, more experience of your power and presence. We lift ourselves to you in Jesus' name.